0: Alumni Audio Lab. I am Doris Obrecht and you are listening to Alumni Audio Lab, a bi-monthly podcast from the OEAD. This is Austria's agency for education and internationalization. In these podcasts I talk with alumni of OEAD who have all studied or done research in Austria. We talk about their life research, the background, and sometimes also about current events and developments. Today, I have the honor of speaking to Ismail Temitayo Badamosi. He is a biomedical scientist with a master's degree in human anatomy from the University of Ilorin in Nigeria. He is currently working on his PhD at the Nansky Institute of Experimental Biology, which is part of the Polish Academy of Sciences in Warsaw. In 2020, Ismail was situated at the Medical University of Vienna. He was a holder of the Ernst Mach Scholarship of the OEAD. His focus lies on neurodegenerational research and on Alzheimer's disease in particular. Ismail Badamosi, I'm very happy that you're virtually participating in this podcast today. Welcome to the Alumni Audio Lab.
1: Oh, Thank you very much, Darius. I'm mm-hmm. very happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Isma, you are on your way to make a career for yourself in science. When did you decide to become a scientist?
1: The decision, you know, it's hard to say, but then it's just like um, it dawned on me fully by the time I joined the graduate school of the University of Lawrence to obtain my masters in anatomy, then I developed this flair for the field of neuroscience so from there on i decided actively that i want to pursue this career fully and get something real nice out of it
0: you are originally from nigeria now living in poland in between you have been to austria what is your background was it easy for you to enter university was it what's your personal story
1: okay okay All right. So I'll I'll try to give the story as short as possible. It's quite an interesting one. So I hail from the southwestern part of Nigeria from a family of five. I'm the first child. I have two younger sisters, my mom and dad. So just five of us like that growing up. So the story about my upbringing in terms of my career is that my dad had this idea that he wants me to become a medical doctor while I was growing up. But then for some reason, it's not a career path I had wanted. So for that, we we were at loggerheads with each other for a very good part of my upbringing because he wanted me to study this medicine and become a medical doctor. I never wanted it, so he, he tried his best to get me on that path. And at every chance I had to go to medical school, I kind of sabotaged it deliberately, so that put me on the not so good book of my dad being the like only male child you know I wasn't exactly doing him the pride he would have wanted while growing up but then after I obtained my master's degree and I began my PhD and I was on the path to becoming a doctor of course not a medical doctor but at least a doctor I think the whole story changed with my dad you know he somehow Came to terms with the fact that I wasn't going to be a medical doctor, but I was on the path to doing something really great in science. And he accepted this eventually, and somehow he told me how proud he is of me eventually choosing this field I have chosen. So I obtained my master's in human anatomy at the University of Illinois, where I began my uh, research uh, activities, primarily studying. Um, nicotine addiction so then what I did was to try to see how to curb the effect of nicotine addiction using nicotine in addition to plant substances that have very good advantages in the human body so that was how I really launched into my research career as a scientist so after I finished my master's I joined the department where I had obtained my master's from as a research assistant And I continue to work with two different research groups on neurodegeneration. And we worked on uh, modeling Alzheimer's disease and trying to treat this disease with plants that are very indigenous to us in Nigeria.
0: You decided to leave Nigeria one day when to go to Europe, to head for Europe for research reasons or studying reasons. When and why did you decide that?
1: The decision became fully formed in 2018. You know, Nigeria is a very beautiful place. And despite all of that, we have um, certain challenges. The environment is not fully equipped with the technicality that will allow a young researcher like me to learn or to acquire the required skills to Match up with people that are doing science in the Western world or in Europe here. So, after I realized that this is the path I want to follow, I understand that the only way to get the skills that are required for me to excel in this field of mine is to leave Nigeria, to leave Africa, to go to somewhere like Europe where I am today studying. Was Austria your first choice? Not really. Uh, It was uh, Austria is one of the many choices I had in mind. I originally looked to go to Canada, but that was particularly challenging. Then uh, I looked at Europe and uh, I hadn't known much about Austria at that time. But by the time I began to read, it turns out that one of the places in Europe where quality science is being done is in Austria. So that informed my decision to want to head to Austria eventually.
0: You made it, you came to Vienna. Was yeah. was this your first long stay abroad in Vienna?
1: Yes, yes, yes. It was my first long stay outside of Nigeria. Yes.
0: And how did you experience your time here?
1: It was a mix of everything, a roller coaster of event in 2020, given the advent of the coronavirus. But in the midst of all that, yeah, I really enjoyed my stay in Vienna because Vienna kind of lived up to the reputation that it had claimed before I came into Vienna, being one of the most livable places in the world. Yes, I saw that firsthand and I experienced it. But then I couldn't explore Vienna to the fullest because for the most part of my stay, uh, there were movement restrictions. So, the best I could do was to stay true to what I had come to do in Vienna at the time, which was to do research. So I was I was mostly, mostly, mostly in the lab working.
0: Will you come back after Corona?
1: After Corona, definitely, definitely. The goal, there's still so much to learn in Vienna. Vienna is a very good place to do science. One of the best research institutes in Europe, in Vienna, the environment is very enabling, and there's quality of the quality of researchers there is very vast. So definitely, I, I in fact, it's one of the places I look forward to doing a postdoctoral research after I eventually get my PhD.
0: Sometimes it can be difficult for our African scholarship holders to come to Europe. How did you feel about it generally? Was it easy to get your visa and through all the other red tape needed?
1: Yes, I agree with you about how challenging it can be for Africans to get into Europe. You know, it's more like a story again for me because when I originally applied to come to Vienna, The friend that had told me about the scholarship scheme, that's the OERD and SMAC that I used to get into Vienna, he he was so sure that I wasn't going to get the scholarship on my first application. But irrespective of uh, what he said, I put in my best application and at the end of the day, I got it after my first application. So it was quite challenging. What was really difficult was. Not getting the scholarship, but the processing that I had to go through to get uh, my documents validated and eventually get a visa to leave Nigeria to come to Vienna. That that took some time and was quite challenging and, you know, uh, expensive for someone in my category at that time.
0: How long did it take you to finish all the document validation and everything?
1: Okay, so I, I got this scholarship notification in August. So after I did that, I had to start processing my paper. After co- contacting my PA and discussing with the OERD via mail uh, at that time, and the embassy, the Austrian embassy in Nigeria, it turns out that I, I would need at least six months to get everything working fully. So, I got the scholarship in August. I was able to head to Austria in January of 2020.
0: At the moment, you're working on your PhD thesis at the Nansky Institute, as I said, in in Warsaw, in Poland. What is your thesis about? You already told us a little bit about what you did in Nigeria back. What is your current research about?
1: Okay, my current research here in at the Nansky Institute is about trying to understand the role of metabolism in certain kinds of neurodegeneration. So I'm trying not to be too technical here. So the current research I'm trying to do, I'm trying to understand what role does, for example, a condition like diabetes, obesity, uh, dyslipidemia play in the progression of certain kind of neurodegeneration, you understand? For example, we have come to understand from the clinical aspects of these diseases that people with diabetes tend to live longer with this disease than people that don't have diabetes. So it begs the question, what does someone who is suffering from diabetes at the same time suffering from this disease, what does the person, what advantage is the person Having or what advantage is diabetes in the person conferring over someone who is not diabetic but also having the same neurodegenerative disease? Diabetes is a metabolic condition, so I'm trying to look at what diabetes or metabolism is doing in the pathogenesis of this disease. It's not a new field really, but the what's germane here is the fact that. I'm using a model system that has never been used before to study this disease. So what what I'm trying to do is to make brain in a dish, to study this brain in the lab inside a dish and try to create conditions that mimic diabetes and see what changes or how it affects it and try to, you know, see the aspect of each of the disease that is very relevant to the progression of the disease
0: you just as, as you've been to Austria in September so you're just at the beginning of your PhD I assume you prepared the path for this research with your research on Alzheimer you sent me some stuff before let's talk about this uh, research
1: before I came to Vienna i had been on a research uh, expenditure with different research groups So what I had been doing, I started with uh, nicotine addiction, and I tried to work on that and, you know, look at the roles of nicotine in managing these uh, withdrawal symptoms in people that are trying to quit smoking. So one of the ways to manage the withdrawal symptoms is to give nicotine to these people. But then nicotine has the tendency to cause or wreak havoc in the brain if it is abused or used excessively. So what I tried to do at that time was to combine nicotine with a known plant that has an array of therapeutic advantages. And it turns out that this plant in question, which is moringa, was able to counterbalance the neurotoxic tendencies of nicotine in these uh, experimental animals while allowing nicotine to elicit its protective function. So that then opened another research question for me because it turns if nicotine, because nicotine also has an area of other functions in the central nervous system, for example, neuromodulation, uh, neurotransmission, to mention a few. And these advantages that it can confer can be exploited in Alzheimer's disease. So I tried to work on Alzheimer's disease, create a model of this disease in animals, then try to treat the animals with nicotine in addition to a very potent antioxidant, which was ascorbic acid. And my findings were quite interesting. It turns out that combining these two different substances has very uh, good therapeutic advantages in this experimental model that I've used.
0: What is happening in the brain exactly when someone has Alzheimer's?
1: Okay, um, Alzheimer's is a very, very um terrible disease. It's a problem of losing the fundamental units of the central nervous system of the brain, which are neurons. So what's happening in Alzheimer's disease is these neurons that constitute the brain are dying. They are dying in a very unique way, such that a certain area of the brain lose more neurons than the other. And the area of the brain that are losing these neurons have very important function in things like memory, cognition, to mention a few. So when these neurons die in this brain area called neurodegeneration, then the patient that is suffering from this disease presents with symptoms like memory loss. If you're going to make a, a, a list of things you want, to, you want, one of the things you least want at the very bottom of the list is going to be Alzheimer's disease. Nobody should ever have to suffer from such a disease. It is very, very devastating because people that suffer from this disease not only forget people around them, they even forget about themselves. They are unable to identify their loved ones, their family. And this disease is common and it's not getting any better. And as, it, as, as we speak now, there is no known cure for the disease. So it's very serious. So what neuroscientists like myself and other people around the world are trying to do is to understand what's going on in the brain of this patient at a subcellular level and try to see if we can slow the progression or halt the progression or even reverse the process. At large.
0: Where does your, I, I don't know if fascination is the right word, your interest in the cure of Alzheimer's come from? What has sparked your desire to that? Do you have a personal background here?
1: Yes, yes, yes. My grandma, when I was growing up, one of the one of the very people that I was very fond of was my grandma. She grew really old. I would have said she lived a very good life until a very old age where she began to elicit some of this symptoms of this disease, you know, and at that time, you know, my family, I will not say we can afford to be all hospital care for this kind of person that is suffering from this disease. So she was at home with us and we we're trying to manage her from home. This kind of sparked interest in this field that I am today.
0: Which treatments are common for Alzheimer's patients or where are common in the last decades?
1: Uh, Many of the treatments for Alzheimer's disease are mostly symptomatic. For example, the symptom of Alzheimer's, for example, is loss of memory because of problem with um, cognition or, sorry, neurotransmission. So an example of drug that is being used to manage that is rivastigmine. So what rivastigmine does is to boost neurotransmission in the brain to enable uh, memory, formation, or cognition. So most of them are just symptomatic drugs that enable this patient to deal with the symptoms, not the disease at last. Uh
0: You said it before, you're one of the substances you are working with or you were working with in this research group, group uh, is nicotine. In my mind, yeah. nicotine was always something really bad, at least that is yeah. how I grew up. <laughs> I stay away from cigarettes, nicotine is bad. Yes, yes,
1: how does one
0: come yes. up with the idea of using such a toxic substance for healing someone okay. or something.
1: <laughs> okay, okay. Thank you very much for that beautiful <laughs> question. You know, nicotine is like a, a double-edged sword. The thing with nicotine, see, in pharmacology, any substance is potentially good and also potentially dangerous so it's a question of how much of the substance you use
0: yeah Paracelsus for example, right <laughs>
1: uh, yes yeah, so for example water is good for your body but you won't go dr- you won't go jumping in the ocean to drink the whole water there you'll probably drown and die from it so it's the same thing with nicotine now what's really bad is smoking because when you smoke you expose yourself to a lot more than just the nicotine. But it is the nicotine content inside the cigarette that causes the addiction, because by the time you smoke very often, you expose your brain, you feed your brain with this nicotine, and what nicotine does is drive neurotransmission. So your brain begins to depend on it, such that if you need to function properly, you will need to smoke to get this nicotine for your brain to get the level of alertness you need to get to. So this continuous exposure to the smoking is what makes the smoking and the content of the smoking bad in addition to nicotine. However, on the extreme end of the spectrum is the advantage that nicotine can do when it is therapeutically administered. So because nicotine is an allosteric modulator of certain receptors in the brain, it means it can drive, when properly used, it can drive neurotransmission. So that was the idea, really, for me. Because when I, when I looked into literature, there's a ton of literature saying nicotine is bad. There's a ton of literature saying nicotine is good. So I conducted my own study trying to stay within the therapeutic range of nicotine. And I found that it can elicit certain uh, nootropic properties that allows for memory enhancement. So it has those advantages when you give it in a therapeutic range, but when it becomes excessive or it becomes abused, then it's bad.
0: Are you still working on this topic or in contact with the research group who's
1: working on that? Yes, yes, very, very much, actively working on it. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: And what is now done with these findings from your research?
1: The findings we have now is that a combination of nicotine and ascorbic acid does well to mitigate some of the new pathologies that we observe in the model of animals we use to mimic Alzheimer's disease. So what we have been able to, what we are doing now, we are trying to write the publication from this work to make it available to the science community at large and try to follow it up more to see the subcellular mechanism that may drive the therapeutic advantage of combining nicotine and ascorbic acid as a therapeutic regimen in experimental animals. So it's still a long shot. There are still so many questions to be answered. So what we have done is done basic research to answer some basic questions, but then we need to do some more advanced research to answer some molecular questions to see what nicotine and ascorbic acid is doing in the brain of animals that may be suffering from this disease.
0: You're not only working with nicotine, you said it, but you're also exploring the effects of plants products. You were talking about moringa before, which is a plant which yeah. is common in Nigeria, as far as I know, and with yeah. lemongrass. I forgot the Latin yeah. name. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs>
0: what, yes,
1: yes. What what makes is your... symbol gum siatrus.
0: Yeah, right. What my... <laughs> what what makes this you interested in the application of medical plants? What has made it uh, motivated this interest in you?
1: Nigeria is a very fertile place rich in plants and natural resources of course one of my interests in science is drug discovery so what i've done over time is to look at different plants that have been used locally as herbs or for treatment of um, diseases locally by traditionalists and try to see how these plants have this therapeutic advantage so Some of the plants I've worked with, for example, like you have mentioned, is the lemongrass and now it's moringa and now it's colaviron that is gotten from bitter cola So these are things that are very ingenious to us. So what the research group I've worked with over time have tried to do is to see the array of um, advantages that these plants have in the brain alone. Or even in disease conditions, so that that's what has uh, really benefited the research I've done over time.
0: Um, another question on Alzheimer's. I'm sorry, I'm very interested in that. No problem. Um, Please take your time. <laughs> do Do <laughs> genetics play a part in Alzheimer's? Is it hereditary, or merely bad luck for the sufferers?
1: Okay, uh, Alzheimer's disease is. Um, there are two types of Alzheimer's disease. There's a the familiar type, which is based on the G- genetics of the individual, and there's a sporadic type. The familiar type is not very common. Uh, I think e- if I'm not mistaken, it's about 3%, but I would have to check to confirm that. But the sporadic type, which usually happens as a result of lifestyle or e- exposure to environmental toxins or a couple of um, other epigenetic factors, as a result of all this that I've mentioned. So the, more, the most common kind of Alzheimer's disease is the sporadic type. Although, if you look at many of these Alzheimer's disease patients, uh, at a genetic level, they carry some kind of mutation that also predisposes them to developing the disease. So there's a, there's a very uh, stern link between environment and genetics. Uh, both genetics and the environment play a role in the possibility of developing the disease.
0: And are there statistics around the numbers of Alzheimer's sufferers in Africa as opposed to other countries? Is it as common on the continent as it is elsewhere?
1: Yes, yes, because Alzheimer's disease is, is a disease of the old age. Typically, it, it ensues from the age of 60 onwards. So although uh, in Africa, there's a challenge of... Um, epidemiological records which we don't fully have the correct record, but yes, the incidence of the disease is also high in the geriatric population in Africa. I
0: want to mention another topic as well. You already said it quite a few times. Your research is based mainly on animal experiments. This is something that is discussed very controversially, at least in Europe. What is your opinion on that?
1: Okay, so uh, all my animal research, all the animal research I have done were in Nigeria. And in Nigeria, before you can use an animal for research, it is very important for you to uh, get an ethical approval. And if your research is not approved, if it's not ethical, then it won't be approved. So my research uh, are done with ethical consideration. But as time goes on, Well, as time came to be now, I tend to prefer not to work with experimental animals because, yes, I think um, these animals have life too. And it's only fair that it should be only under conditions that are extremely necessary that we should use these animals. So that's one of the things that has happened to me now. So I've shifted completely from using animals research to using a very different model to answer the kind of research and uh, research questions I have. But we should also keep in mind that most of the advances that we have made in medicine over the century, uh, because we are able to answer this question in experimental animal, although in some places, they do not abide to the ethical standards that have been put in place. But I think if um, a research is going to be done with animal and there is ethical consideration put in place, then yes, it should be doable.
0: What is regulated in this ethical approval?
1: So in this ethical, uh, we say it's a function of three R, reduction, refinement and replacement. So there's always a question of how many animals are using the current amount of animals you're trying to use for research is it justifiable? Instead of using 10, can you use two? That's one aspect of the ethical consideration. Number two is refinement. So it's also very important to refine your research such that the animals, to, as much as possible, do not suffer any kind of pain. And if they must suffer any kind of pain, the pain should be as minimal as possible. The experiment should be as humane as possible. Then number three, uh, reduction, refinement, and replacement. So there's also the question is can you do your experiments without using these animals? Are there other possible models that can help you to answer your question? So if it is possible for you to replace the animals with a different model that are not animals, then replace the animals. If it's possible for you to reduce the number of animals you want to use in the experiment, then reduce it. If it's possible for you to refine it so that the animals do not suffer at all, then refine it. So that's what's very important in ethical consideration for using experimental animals.
0: You're a rather young scientist. You're only 29 years old, 29. but you've already published quite a number of scientific publications. Do you see these as a drivers for your career?
1: Um, I think it's mostly because of the kind of people I've worked with and how much work I've had to put in over the years. Because research is about the only thing I do. So as much as possible, we answer questions when we have them. And once we have answers on our basic level, we we'll try to make it available to the science community. And I've been privileged to work with teams that work in regularly doing research regularly so as such we are writing and publishing regularly so of course it's also part of the drive to continue to do the research because by the time you do a research and you have it published in a good journal it gives you the motivation to want to do more to want to research more to want to answer more que- ask more questions and try to answer them and ultimately try to publish them so i consider myself yes lucky Uh, with the uh, number of publications I have at this stage of my career. And yes, I'm still working hard to get it as up as possible.
0: You're also a member of different institutions, for example, the Neuroscience Society of Nigeria and the International Society for Neurochemistry. For the second one, you're even an ambassador of the Young Science Steering Committee. What does that mean? What are you actually doing in this role?
1: So the International Society for Neurochemistry is a society for neuroscientists around the world. On the Young Scientific Steering Committee, what we try to do there is to make this society known to the world, number one. Then number two, preach neuroscience to the world at large too. So I'm representing this neuroscience society in my own niche. I was in Nigeria before I went to Vienna, then now in Poland. So wherever I find myself, I talk about neurochemistry, I talk about neuroscience, and I also try to uh, be a representative for this society, talking about what the society has to do. And very importantly, what I have tried to do in my position is to try to motivate younger ones like myself or people that are younger than me to do science. To guide those are interested in doing science on how to do science, to put them on the path that would help them to launch their research career and also let avail them the various opportunities that are there for them to explore, to attain the height they intend to. So the International Society for Neurochemistry is a society that takes care of our members and provides for our members in terms of financial support research support um, travel support so if you want to go for for example a conference out of your continent and you need money to go for such a conference the society provides grants for for such um occasion in addition to a lot of other grants that are available in the international society for neurochemistry
0: are you orienting your research and experience towards practical use in Nigeria in the future, or do you want to stay abroad?
1: The the goal is to ultimately get to the height where I can go back home, have a lab of my own, or do a research of my own, and very importantly, use the abundance of resources that we have locally to my advantage as a neuroscientist. I believe there's so much to learn locally. There is so much to um, explore locally, but then there is need for experience. So what I'm trying to do now is to gather this experience, at least for the next decade or so, travel to different countries, learn different techniques, meet uh, different collaborators, and ultimately return to Nigeria and establish something that would allow researchers that are as young as me to, to do science and experience science the way I've been able to experience science in advanced countries.
0: You said it before, Nigeria is a beautiful country but Nigeria is also a difficult country politically speaking. As in the Austrian media we read a lot about the rebel action in the north of Nigeria. How would you, how would you describe the situation in the city of Ilorin where you attended university?
1: Ilori is a north central state, and it's um, compared to the northern part, it's very peaceful. And this rebel act or um, insurgence that uh, you usually hear of in the north is mostly in the northern part of the country. But once you come to the north central, to the southwestern region, uh, you hardly hear of things like this. So it doesn't affect our day to day. Um, activity. Although it's worrisome that something like this is happening up north, so we are hoping that at some point it comes to a definite end. The government is working hard to curb this insurgency, and I think over time it has reduced a little bit. It's just a matter of time, yes. But in the Lorry, is a very peaceful place, very serene environment to live, to study, to do business, yes. Ahead
0: of this recording, you wrote me an email and revealed to me that you are a rather good cook, that you have ambitions <laughs> to become a world-class chef in the foreseeable future, which I know will be a pleasant diversion for our listeners. <laughs> what what makes yes. this your passionate about cooking?
1: Okay. Alright, so um I like food. <laughs> Yeah, me too. <laughs> like I like, yeah, I, I like I like good food, and I like to taste different things. What I'm saying is just give my tongue different experiences. You know, this is I see a food, I try to taste it. Is it nice? What's inside? How was it made? So this kind of curiosity that I have is what has geared my interest in cooking. I like to eat different things. I like to cook different things. I like to meet different cultures to see. When, I'm, when I go to a place the first time, what I want to know is what kind of food they have here and what's unique about this food and why are they so crazy about it. So it's one of the things I do. But Generally, it's because I like food and I like to cook. Yeah.
0: What do you say about Austrian food?
1: Wow, yeah.
0: Did you have the possibility to taste it as all the, the restaurants uh, were closed? Yes, and so.
1: yes. yes. You, know, you know, back in January, when I had just got into um, Austria before the lockdown, yes, I had the opportunity to taste quite a few, not so much. But one of my favorite back in, when I was in Vienna at that time was Is it how you call it now? Schnitzel?
0: Schnitzel, yes.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Schnitzel, the Vienna Schnitzel. It's one of my favorite dishes, the chicken schnitzel, the fish schnitzel. I mean, it's very nice how you guys uh, flatten out each of these proteins and make them into something so delicious like that. At some point, too, I was able to visit a few restaurants. I can't remember the names of the food now, but there were definitely a lot of cool things to try out in Vienna and yes there's good, good food in Vienna.
0: This is, it's nice to really hear good
1: food,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh did did your parents or grandparents introduce you to food good food the making of it in your childhood?
1: Oh okay while well, growing up um one of the really ground rules in uh, my household was is When my mom is in the kitchen cooking, you have no business to be (laughs) in any other place. So the only place you can be at that point in time is with mom in the kitchen, you know. So if if you want to eat in the house, you just have to make sure you are with her while she's cooking. So that instilled some of the skills I had while growing up in me. Yeah, so I was almost always with mom in the kitchen whenever she was cooking.
0: It is very common for both genders in the West to be great chefs, but is this so in Africa, or Nigeria, in the restaurants?
1: Yes, 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 yes. It's 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 very common here to see real good cooks, both in males and females. Yeah.
0: There is also another thing you're quite passionate about, and that is physical fitness. How did this start? Yeah.
1: So while growing up I had a rather small stature and um somehow I don't know how it happened. I it went from being really asthenic to become very like having somehow fat stature. So I was big and you no know, being um, an ectomorph. It was like affecting my health kind of because I could barely run hundred meters without panting and everything like that. That was when I was in my undergraduate. So I decided to start exercising regularly. And when I did, it kind of instilled this interest in fitness in me because it turns out that one way of staying healthy, one way of staying sharp, one way of staying mentally healthy is doing exercise regularly. So I picked this interest in exercise from we're talking about almost 13 years ago now, and since then, I've been a stern fan of physical fitness. So I like, personally, I like the idea of being big, having good muscles, well-defined muscles, and also being able to carry yourself to be athletic at the same time. So I strike a balance between having a big stature and also being as athletic as possible.
0: How do you keep fit?
1: Uh, one of the things I do is every morning I go for a run at least five kilometers, five times a week. Then I if not for the pandemic now, I I use the gym regularly at least four times a week. So that's how I manage to keep fit. And also keep in mind too so I like food, you know? <laughs> so it's also <laughs>
0: You need to keep balance, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: So so it's very important for me to to to, you know, balance it out. So one of the way I compensate for my interest in food, because I eat almost anything I would never say no to a food. For as long as you eat it, for as long as it's palatable, for as long as it's delicious, count me in, I'm going to eat.
0: We're nearly at the end. Usually as the last question I ask my guests what the plans for the future are. But today I want to ask you not about your plans, but about your dreams. How would your perfect future look? What are you dreaming of?
1: Oh, you know, one of the things I dream of very vividly is a future where a place like Nigeria is as stable as livable as every other place in the advanced world. A place where there is no insurgency. A place where there is absolutely nothing to worry about. A place where you can do good science and quality science and answer questions and discover drugs or therapies to diseases. And you won't exactly have that uh, compulsory need to want to uh, leave home permanently to look for a greener pasture somewhere at least if you know you're when you're living nigeria you're just living to probably go somewhere briefly and come back to your home country that is just as beautiful as wherever you are visited. so one of the things i dream about really is a future where nigeria is far better than it, it is right now a future where africa is as advanced as the western world as, as advanced as europe that's one of the things i really dream of
0: ismail i thank you most sincerely for this very interesting talk
1: yes thank you very much for having me
0: i wish you good luck for the future and for all your plans and also for your dream
1: thank you very much
0: you're very most welcome
1: thank <laughs> okay. you this
0: was ismail badamosi biomedical scientist from nigeria Thank you for listening to Alumni Audio Lab, a podcast of the OEAD. All former episodes can be found at our website, oead.at slash alumni minus audio lab.
1: Alumni
0: Audio Lab.